Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And welcome back to the House of Pod. My name is Kave Hoda. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. What are we talking about today? Today, what are we talking about? Well, last week, the esteemed New England Journal of Medicine, the esteemed medical journal, released an episode of one of its podcasts, um, not otherwise specified. That's not me editorializing. That's the name of the podcast. They released an episode called Tough Love where the host, Dr. Lisa Rosenbaum, and her guest, Dr. Amy Holthauser, discussed essentially what is the trends they see in medical school training and seemed a rebuke of these modern trends that we're seeing. And they discussed uh, what they feared is the slippery slope, I think they used that term, from wellness days to inadequate medical training. As you might imagine, this was met in the medical community at large um, with strong emotions on two different sides of it. People who seem to agree with it and where it really resonated with them. And uh, mostly younger doctors who seem to think that this is sort of the last dying gasps of the old regime of medical school training. So we're going to talk about that today. But before I introduce our esteemed guests, I am also very happy to say we have a new sponsor here at the House of Pod, and I would like to introduce them, Thomas Organic MRIs. That's right. When you think of quality, you think of Thomas Organic MRIs. Thomas MRIs use only the highest quality organic components and no pesticides. Patients will be sprayed with pesticide before and after scans, also during. Very good stuff from what I've heard. Now let's introduce our guests first. Returning guest, Dr. Trisha Pendergrast, anesthesiology resident at the University of Michigan. Trisha, welcome back. Thank you so much. I was a medical student last time I was on. Oh, you're all grown up. You're all <laughs> grown up. Joining us also, Dr. Ryan Marino, toxicologist at large. Ryan, I missed you so much. It hurts. I'm so glad you're back. I'm so glad to be back. I miss it. Yeah, I it's tell you. It's been so long. I know it's like four episodes. It's been a you. year. <laughs> it never gets old. It never gets <laughs> old. 
Okay. So um, let's get into this. Um, there was other things I wanted to talk about, like, you know, maybe the COVID guidelines shifting and maybe what's happening in Florida. But I think this is probably uh, enough for us to chew upon this one topic. And uh, <clears throat> before we get into this, I don't know what we, is this a reaction piece? I don't know. A, a diss track for podcast? I don't know. Before we get into it, <clears throat> I want to preface this by saying that a lot of what we're going to do and say here, including from me, is, is going to be a critique of that podcast. But I, I do want to make it clear that I don't necessarily disagree with everything they said. And personally, I think that Dr. Amy Holthauser, and we'll talk about some of the things she says in this episode, I think it really does come from a good place. I disagree with it a lot, but I think that is important to know. And, and so I want to say that to start. But let me, let me just before we get into the details of the episode, um, Trisha, you listened to it, right? You listened to this episode? I can did. You, can you give us the overall impression, the one-liner, if you would, about what you think this episode was trying to say or prove? I, so I did, I listened to it and I read it. And I, I agree that there are a lot of points that are made that I partially agree with. The argument that they are making is that medical trainees these days are soft. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And yeah. their concern, which is a valid one, is that that is going to translate into worse patient care. Now, you are not a student anymore, as you mentioned. You are now a resident. So it's, it's nice having you were, you know, when you were a student, you were very vocal uh, about some of these issues, about what... I mean, I think a lot of us felt was abusive, an abusive system towards medical students. I mean, and residents too, for that matter. But like you, you were a part of that. And now you're a resident. You're no longer a medical student. Do you have a different perspective on it? Do you feel the exact same way you did? I, so my position has always been one of pro wellness and pro not wasting medical students time. And as a resident, those feelings have only been strengthened because as an intern taking night float, taking 24 hour call, it's just become how so obvious that the time I spent in the hospital as a medical student, yes, was valuable, but there are far more things that I was not prepared for on day one of intern year when it came to clinical practice than, than those I was prepared for. And another few call shifts as a medical student would not have bridged that gap. Mm -hmm. Ryan, you are not an old, but you're no longer a young. You're in between. You're somewhere in between. You're a young attending. How, where do you land on this issue? I am a little torn. I mean, I think the whole podcast was uh, inappropriate. I don't think they should have recorded any of it. I don't think it made any of the points they wanted to make. I don't think there's anything really justifiable there. Um, in terms of, I mean, this discussion, I, I definitely think there's stuff to talk about from both sides, but I, again, think that this is kind of just like infantilizing trainees, um, who are already over infantilized and a lot of people who just are resistant to change, trying to come up with excuses to ever make any sort of forward progress, um, saying that, that education, the last 10 years um education looks completely different 
um, that it, and it did 10 years ago, I think was like one of her quotes or it was unrecognizable or something that scale of change was monumentous, something like that. Like I would hope that medical education changes every decade um, in a, a monumentous way. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't, like maybe their hearts are in the right place, but none of their words or actions are. Uh, and the guest who came on, I mean, literally quit her job because of burnout and talked about how she now has so many days off, she doesn't know what to do with them. Um, which yeah. is just like, uh, was wild to me that she didn't understand that irony there. Yeah. I will say this. I don't listen to a lot of medical podcasts. Essentially I'll listen only if my friends are on one. Um, and I, so this is one of the first non house of pod medical podcasts I listened to. And I am, um, I don't think I like medical podcasts. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I enjoyed them. I don't think they were that much fun. It made me feel a lot better if I'm being honest about mine. Um, and the, the thing you bring up that I think is really interesting, the fundamental thing to me, because again, I, I actually thought medical school was really tough and challenging and, and I think there's lots of ways to make it better and a better experience and, and train a more humane doctor. I really think that's possible, but it always cracks me up when people assume the way things were, were good. When I trained, this is going to be, a, a, people are going to understand how old I am when I say this. I was the last year when I came in as as a uh, intern where there wasn't an 80-hour work week. They they made that change right when I got there. So I experienced what life was like before we had these 80-hour work week uh, restrictions. So I kind of know what that's like and there's a part of me that felt like it made me better and stronger. But the fact that we all sort of believe that what we did was better is ridiculous to me. Like the fact that what we went through work for us is great, but it doesn't mean it's the only way. It's like when people think that their genre of music that they grew up with is the best genre of music. I'm like, no, every generation has great music. Every generation has good stuff out there. You just have to find it. You may not be exposed to it. And everyone thinks that what they did was better. What, what about us as doctors seems so great? You know, my generation of doctors, what about us seems so wonderful that we can't change the system? You know what I mean? I feel like there's nothing so great about, about us or any generation that came before us, that doesn't mean we couldn't do something different or try something better. So let's get into let's get into the podcast. Let's get into it a little bit. Trisha, let's go through some of the points of the podcast. Will you walk us through some of your thoughts on this? Yes. Um, and I have so many thoughts. I want I want to be sure though that we're framing our discussion a little, a little bit differently than they did because they lumped medical students and residents into a global conversation of trainees when those are two very different groups. Residents are not students, students are not part of the workforce. And so when residents come to the bargaining table and when we have our, our union contracts, we sit across from administrators and C-suite executives and we fight for the, the one personal day we get off you know, a year. And so what Dr. Holthauser makes this very passionate argument by saying the people who are running your institutions um, by and large are the same people who want to do what's right. And she's making this argument that medical medical educators want to do what's right. Um, I believe that the overwhelming majority of medical educators want to do what's right, 100%. But the problem is both trainees, both residents and medical educators are beholden to the institution, the C-suite, the bottom line. And so 
I know, we know as residents, faculty, ed educators are deeply invested in our education, but I don't believe that the people making the big decisions, the people who are choosing how much to pay me and how many residents we get in our program are always invested in my well-being and not the financial gain of my institution. I don't believe that argument. Well, speaking from the specialty of emergency medicine, I mean, I can say that's definitely true because emergency medicine, I mean, you did an episode on this, has been bought up by venture capital firms who have destroyed the future of the specialty and flooded the training with uh, unfillable spots so that they can pay people less. Um, so yeah, people definitely don't have good interests at heart. You know, what's interesting to me is she she does talk about how they want what's best for the students. They want to give them tough love because they love them like a parent would. She uses that <laughs> analogy. It's questionable to me on, on a lot of levels. It's kind of weird and it's a little, you know, it's more than a little patronizing. But but the, the truth of it is not every attending out there, not every resident out there who's working with students has these benevolent interests. Yeah. I mean, we, all three of us, probably have on the top of our tongues the names of like three total <laughs> bastards one day when my show is big enough i will name names <laughs> i'm not going to waste it until it's bigger but there's we all know that there's people out there who don't necessarily have that best interest and are just frankly abusive so uh that that first argument doesn't totally hold for me and then when you stretch it just like you're saying trisha to people beyond the the teachers to the c-suite types you know um then you're getting further and further from that light from that warmth um ryan you you, you work with students right mm -hmm. and residents and residents you work with both do you feel like there's been a significant change in the last 10 years in the way you uh teach them the way you address them your interactions with them and if so what no, I mean, I feel like they know more and like work harder and work smarter. Um, maybe it would be the only differences I've noted, but I mean, like the quality of trainees I see now is only better than it was 10 years ago, if if anything. Trisha, what, what do you see uh, now that you're fresh out of it. I mean, it's hard probably because you're so close to being a student, but like, you know, do you, what do you see as the the real changes that are occurring? Well, they, they brought up some of these changes in their podcast. Dr. Holhauser was talking about how, um, you know, after COVID, there was a huge drop in the, in the pass rate on step one. And there's this loss in the, the pure joy of learning. And there's this emphasis on students wanting to go home and get a day off to do more practice questions before their shelf exam. Um, and I agree with those observations and I'm glad that they brought them up. But the problem is the reason why medical students are asking the question of what's the minimum I have to do to, to meet this external criteria to pass to match, which is a concern they bring up is not the fact that they're giving us wellness days and leeway. The, the reason for that is there's this unsustainable learning environment where we have this residency match system where your success is predicated on a shrinking number of data points. Um, of course, putting the most important now, the most important exam we take at the end of your, your year of clerkships 
is going to affect learning. It's going to affect our joy of learning. Mm -hmm. And then the flip side of that is when they're saying these issues aren't fixed by giving out wellness days. Well, of course they're not because these are systemic issues. And so I, that's something, you know, I took step one, I was the last class to take it with a, was a grade. And, um, I just remember being so caught up in preparing for that exam that everything else fell away, including the joy of learning, unfortunately. So I agree with the point they make about that in their, in the podcast, but I disagree that that is a reason why we shouldn't pursue things that can maybe improve the experience of being in medical school or being resident. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, okay, let's move on to the, some other topics that they, they they touch on, Trisha. Sure. I think we already brought it up, but this concept of, of parenting really struck a chord, definitely with me and a lot of people I saw on social media. And this is not the first time I've heard um, someone refer to medical students as children or residents as baby doctors. I, I'm 30. I'm, I'm not the, the child of either of the people on that podcast. I'm certainly not their teenage child. And when I was looking for a program and a program director in a residency leadership team, I wasn't looking for extra more parents. Mm -hmm. I don't expect to be parented by my program director. I want to be taught. I want to be coached. I want to be mentored. Um, I expect to get negative feedback and I will call my mom when I get that negative feedback because that's how you grow. And so when Dr. Holthauser is talking about how she feels like it's her role to prepare trainees to adapt to, I think she says, a never ending list of life's difficulties. I appreciate that that's where she's coming from, that she wants to prepare us for the world. But I would argue that that is not the role of a medical educator. I don't want anesthesiology faculty to prepare me for everything that can go wrong in life. I want them to prepare me for everything that can go wrong in the operating room. That's, mm -hmm. that's their role. That's, that's how I want to sort of use the, pre the precious resource that is time with our faculty. And so I, I disagree with that argument. And I also found the comparison of residents to angsty teenagers to be infantilizing and eventually just distracting for me from the arguments that they were actually trying to make. Yeah, I'll agree. That bothered me too. And I'm much further from that than you are. <laughs> if if anyone knows how to how things go wrong, it would be anesthesia, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> for for our for our listening <laughs> audience that isn't medicine, uh two things. Anesthesiologists are always the people you want there in the worst case scenario. Uh, when yeah, someone's they're doing like really some badly. of the smartest people in the hospital. Yeah. And they're also the people that get blamed for everything that does go wrong. So that's where that's coming <laughs> from. <laughs> um, okay, so so something you've touched on um, there, and you're probably going to bring this up specifically, but we talk about the knowledge base and they talk about how you just need to dedicate all this time. You need more work hours to get all the learning. There's that what was it? God, what'd they say? I heard this when I was a medical student. When you're Q2, which means you're overnight, every second night, every second night you're there, you're there 24 hours. That's It was brutal. I did some of that in my training. It's terrible. You don't like it. It's not good for you. But there's something they said that that always kind of bothered me, or at least resonated with me in a weird way, because I see a little bit of kernel of truth in it, which is you, if you're Q2, they would say, you're missing half the good cases because you're not there all the time. You're just there 50% of the, the time. There is something to be said about putting in the reps, doing the hours, seeing the cases. Is there any concern from either of you guys 
that there would be um, a change or a decrease in the knowledge base if we continue to make work hours more humane for the medical students in particular? So for medical for medical students, if the question is about medical students and eliminating call, I mean, I was I still remember taking call uh, on my surgery rotation. I sat in the workroom all night and they forgot about me and I sat on the couch because the interns were so busy running around the hospital. And I don't blame them at all. Um, it's more just a symptom of that type of environment being an intern on overnight in the hospital. It's really hard. Um, the reps that you take as a medical student are nowhere near the quantity or difficulty that you take as an intern. And so I have a really hard time buying the argument that we need to put medical students through 24 hour call through nights. When that argument is made, a lot of the time, at least when I see it on social media, it often comes from a place of, well, you're going to be taking 24 hour call as a resident. So you need to learn how to do it as a medical student. The, the sleep deprivation will happen regardless. You don't need to practice that. And I think <laughs> it's, less, it's less about learning at that point and more about, well, you're going to suffer later. So we're going to teach you how to suffer now. And that's not a reason to do anything. When it comes to, to residency, I will concede that the times I felt that I've grown the most during this past year, during these last eight months of residency, um, was when I was on overnight or when I was taking a 24, when I was left without a senior sitting next to me and I had to make decisions on my own. Incredibly valuable, incredibly valuable experience. Different from when I was a medical student. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it feels like just conditioning medical students for the fact that they will have to have sleep deprivation or, or take long calls because they, they aren't making any decisions. A lot of times, I mean, they are kind of like forgotten, if not just secondary. Um, so I, I don't know that it, it really adds to any education. And I mean, I can't think of forced uh, overnights that I had as a medical student um, that, that added to, to my career. Um, and like the Trisha said at the beginning, I mean, medical students and residents are very different groups in this discussion. And I don't think lumping them together does I mean, A, it makes kind of the whole argument seem less valid, but it doesn't do any favors to either group um, because the things that benefit residents, like maybe doing overnight call or, or something like that, working nights in the hospital when you are more responsible, there is less staffing, you have to kind of do more um, and you do less things like documentation and that kind of stuff. Um, it's very different than someone who's paying like $60,000 a year just to be there and then like ends up sitting around all night and just not getting any sleep um, and then still has to show up for like a, a morning exam later in the week. Mm -hmm. So disrupting someone's schedule for that, I, I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me, honestly. And someone who's in like business school or law school, I don't think gets, I mean, maybe they do. I don't know. I haven't been in either of those schools but I don't think they get treated in the same kind of like infantilized way where it's like, no, it's good for you to be here overnight or something. Um, I don't know that anyone paying for an educational experience is, is really treated like that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Well, let, let me ask you guys this. Is there on some level, if you're a medical student and you are at a place where you're not entirely sure about what you want to do, mm -hmm. if you're still at a point where you're like, Am I going to be a surgeon? Do I want to be a surgeon? I really want to do it. 
is there something to be said about doing those overnights and seeing what that life would be like? Um, do you know what I mean? Is there something to be said for like being a medical student, being there overnight and being like, God, this is, I'm so tired. I'm so sleepy, but I love it. I kind of love it. And I want to do this. Like, do you think there's something to be said for that? I think in those situations, I mean, like having someone come volunteer to work in a shift overnight with me is always available to them, but it's not expected or required. And especially, I mean, if someone is like considering going into to surgery or like wants to be a trauma surgeon, I mean, I think encouraging them to maybe see what that is and test that out. But I don't think saying everyone needs to do that to make that decision is the way to go. But do you feel like if that happens, then, and depending on how it you know, these these residents, or sorry, these students are um, evaluated, do you think that people will just be staying just because they want to get that higher recommendation? They want to get that, you know, they want to be evaluated well. I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing or not, but I feel like that would happen. There would be some people who would be like, I honestly feel like I should do this at least a couple times to see what it's like. And then as a, as an attending or a resident, I think honestly, it'd be hard to not be like, that was my best student. That person came and, and they were with me in the middle of the night and we struggled together, et cetera. And they had the heart. I mean, I feel like people would just do it and that they should have the option to do it. I do agree. I think that makes perfect sense. My only fear is that like you'd be getting a lot of people doing it just for that purpose for the the grade, which maybe maybe not a bad thing. Maybe that's just like the rest of medical school and pre med before it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good discussion because I agree with your um, like theory there, and that is something that already happens. I think across medical education, and it is like a super toxic part of medical education. The like trick. Telling someone they can go home if they want, or like judging someone if they finish and leave early, or or anything like that. Um, I mean, I think as a whole, maybe that kind of like toxic culture needs to be better addressed, so that that isn't the reason why people can or can't do certain med school experiences. Yeah, a really good. Like point. it is so hard for me to send a medical student home, and I'm like, please, like there's nothing good going to happen to you here. I <laughs> do not think any less of you and they just won't believe me. Yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Trisha? I I'm agnostic about, um, I think optional 24s or, or nights would be fine. And I think we've come back to the point of this is a systemic issue and they've picked one part of the system to take up issue with. Uh, also wellness days are not going to fix everything, but, um, there's something to be said for, you know, sometimes you don't need a burden of proof to do nice things for, for people, for each other. And so, um, making this optional would be, would be nice and give people the, the opportunity to demonstrate their interest. I do agree though. It would just turn into another form of, um, okay, so it's not required, but is it, required right. a lot of things when you're on clerkships it's just one long performance over the course of you know 12 to 16 months well you know it's not optional these amazing commercials that you're about to listen to stay tuned we'll be right back 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And we're back. I hope you enjoyed those uh, commercials for dick pills. Um, so let's let's talk about something real quick before we move on from this topic completely. I enjoy making Ryan blush. And <laughs> one thing I like to talk about, okay, how do you think it would be um, received if it was determined that like cutting back on work hours and overnights, et cetera, was the right thing to do, which I think most of us think has been a good step in medical training. But if it was also determined that the there was some lack of knowledge some knowledge base hit from that or some scoring test. And to make up for it, there would be some question of extended time on the other side of medical school or even residency. How would that be received? Do you think um, that would be a, a something that would be tolerated? Or do you think we're already at a point where people like four years plus of undergrad, four years of medical school, three to you know seven years of you know training after that, that people how would how would they take it well for medical school as it stands right now in the united states it doesn't need to be four years four years long anyways there are so many fourth year medical students that spend maybe two of those 10 months actually doing curricular work and spend the rest either pursuing you know their interests or traveling or um, getting married, having babies, like that's the year to do it. So if you needed to add on more curricular elements, there is, there is room. That's not an issue for residency. And I think that's, I think that the residency question is interesting. It would probably be a different answer depending on if you're doing a three year or a seven year residency. But if there were conclusive evidence that making these changes was detrimental to patient care and leading to patient safety incidents, then that would need to be addressed. That's not the case right now. There's evidence to the contrary, based on what I've I've read in terms of burnout and you know professional fulfillment. But I think we would ha- we'd have to do something about that. But it would take mm-hmm. a while to prove that that was the case, and I don't think that's what's happening. Yeah, it's getting back to the podcast that we're doing this discussion about. It, I felt like they were talking a lot during that podcast about this just concrete belief that the way things are now are not good and are mm-hmm. not working. Um, Trisha, do you do you know of any evidence right now that that points maybe to the contrary of that, that well, the changes we have made have been uh, good for residents or, or medical students in particular, really? Well, the, the crux of their argument is that wellness interventions don't work. Wellness days don't work. And um, with respect to residents and practicing physicians, we know that time off is an effective intervention on burnout. There was just a study that came out, I think in JAMA Network Open, that looked at 
number of days a physician took off in the year and measures of burnout. And the doctors that had more time off were less emotionally exhausted. They had less depersonalization. They had decreased overall burnout and increased professional fulfillment. So while that was not studied in residence, I feel comfortable extrapolating that data to all practicing physicians and all practicing healthcare professionals, frankly. Um, And then with residents, we know that working hours are associated with increased burnout. And we know that burnout is associated with increased patient safety incidents. So there are connections. When you are burning out your workforce, the workforce performs less optimally. Um, so I, I don't buy this argument that they make again and again and again, that they say we don't have any evidence that these, these wellness days, these interventions, they're not making any difference. And while that may be true with some of these half measures, the pizza parties, the wellness modules that we all have to do until our eyes bleed, <laughs> it comes to actual interventions like giving people time off or hiring, you know, some APPs to cover overnights or weekends, that works. It's just expensive and hospital systems don't want to pay for the things that work. And that enables this argument that, oh, we don't have any evidence um, that, that wellness interventions are working and therefore we should just not do them. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent point. All right. Let, let's get back to the podcast uh, that we're discussing and, and some of the points they made in it. Uh, other than that, um, what else did you take uh, maybe a little issue with? Well, not, not so much issue. Well, so, some, somewhat issue. Issue? But... Is it, you took issue, not issue though? Is that what it was? Is it, I took, a, I took a, a small, a small issue. Issue. I just thought it was really interesting. Dr. Holthauser was talking about how she uh, struggles with wellness days and how she doesn't know sort of what to do with them and preaches time and again, that the mindset with which you approach your 80 hour work week, that can make all the difference in the world. I, I love my days off. And I think this is actually something that underscores kind of a generational divide where we have an incoming, you know, groups of residents and now, you know, medical students who, um, they don't expect to glean the majority of meaning in their life from the workplace. Whereas a lot of older physicians that you will talk about who have been in practice for years, decades, medicine to them is a calling. It is an identity. It is who they are. For a lot of younger physicians in practice, for residents, for medical students, medicine is a job. So it's a privilege to be a physician, certainly, but at the end of the day, it's still a job. And you will rarely see us glorifying labor and preaching that if we change our mindset, it will make our experience in a difficult and sometimes, um, you know, exploitative workplace vastly different, which is something they do again and again in podcast. Yeah, I got the sense that like these two did not have any hobbies outside of work, honestly. <laughs> she had and a podcast. They were, they were kind of like t- taking it out on everyone. I mean, <laughs> truly though, the guest who had the, the strong opinions said she got burned out from her job because of inability to balance work and personal life not because of the demands of the job or the students and so quit that and then got more satisfaction from doing the things she liked and now has more time off and doesn't know what to do in her free time which like i wish i had so much free time i didn't know what to do in it i mean that sounds lovely 
Um, like granted, I'm not, I'm not in residency. I have plenty of free time. Um, I also kind of blame medical education for this infantilizing treatment that I like can't schedule myself for doctor's appointments and that kind of thing. Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, that, oh, that just seemed weird that like they didn't understand that people enjoy not being at work. It's a really good point, especially that I really want to touch on that. We are terrible at taking care of our own health because we are, we go through training. Like I, I literally went through residency like three years and I was like, I, I can't take, I can't go to the dentist. I don't have time for, I don't have time to go to a dentist. I don't, I can't. Finally, when I was a chief resident, I was like, okay, I really should go to the dentist. It's been a long <laughs> time. And I had like maybe 45 cavities. <laughs> It was absurd. It was like, I don't remember the exact number, but I, I remember I had to go in for like multiple trips back to the dentist to take care of it because we just don't take care of that stuff. And that wellness stuff should be part of what we use that for. I mean, it makes me in general very uncomfortable when anyone in any job says they don't know what to do with their days off and they don't like having days off. I'm always like, I, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to, I want to know that you're able to balance your life a little bit. I don't want you losing your mind and ending up on a clock tower with a deer rifle. You need to find like ways to balance yourself. You know what I mean? It scares me when I hear that. I don't like it. Um, but I will say it is an interesting discussion, this job versus passion, because mm -hmm. you're exactly right. Doctors of older generations, so much of their identity was being a doctor. And now younger generations is, but more of like, a, it's my job. And, um, and I'll be honest, that's like, the part that's the part I don't know how I feel about. Like I feel it is I do love my job. But at the same time, I do love other things, you know? I love playing music, I love going out to good restaurants and meeting friends and and podcasting or doing other stuff. So, um but that that's really where that's a real challenge for me is is trying to determine who has it right and maybe are we swinging too far in the other direction? Does it need to come back to a center? I don't know. You guys tell me. I think part of it is it's not just a medical trainee thing, it's a generational thing. So the current medical students and the current residents have grown up in this world where we were told, you know, you, you work hard and you do this and you go to college and then you're gonna buy a house and be able to retire at 65. And the, the world's on fire and the economy sucks and houses cost $500,000. So as a generation, I think there's a lot of um, just, shift away from glorifying the experience of, of having a job and glorifying, you know, the nature of this dream that we all held. And while at the end of the day, when you become a physician, you still have a lot of financial privilege. We're just sort of seeing being a part of the workforce as what it is. And in many cases, for many Americans, it was, I went real big with this, this point, but it was, I mean, it's like, it's a lie. It's this dream that we were sold. And so as a generation, I think there are differences with how we view our role in the workplace and what work should mean to us. Yeah. And I mean, the industry itself is not engendering any sort of like positive outlooks for futures or even, I mean, like career longevity, the example I brought up about like emergency medicine earlier is not unique to my specialty. Anesthesia, it's not anesthesia, 100% private equity. Yeah. All of this private equity, all of these for-profit groups, uh, like healthcare is all corporatized in this country at this point. I mean, look at what goes on with insurance companies, the amount of time I have to spend on the phone doing prior authorizations um, makes me like rethink my entire career every time it happens. So yeah, I think there's a lot 
to for people to have concerns about. And also, I mean, I don't think people from older generations who had these beliefs that like career is everything and like their family friends called them doctor so-and-so rather than whatever their name was. Um, I don't think that those people were like healthier for not having hobbies. Yeah. Um, yeah. They were probably like, I mean, I don't know, had like whiskey in their desk at work and all yeah. that stuff too. Like it's not, it's the slippery slope of the phrase that they used in the podcast. I mean, I think you can, I think apply that's it. a red, red flag for any discussion, but you could apply slippery slope to kind of like that outlook on life is that my job is my calling. Uh, no, like it should just be a job. Like you're a, literally a cog in a machine. They will replace you at a, the drop of a hat in most instances. Well, you say that, Ryan, but I also know that you are extraordinarily dedicated as a doctor. And I know that you are constantly like looking up stuff and reviewing stuff, anything toxicology related, you're on top of like, how does that happen if you don't have the passion for it? I mean, because no one's that good at their job if they don't like it, right? I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. Oh, well, I, I, I think, yeah, I think people are are really good at their job who don't do stuff that I do. Um, like I, policy work and like advocacy is one of my big hobbies. And so I don't consider that necessarily like a calling. I don't do that as a profession. Um, but yeah, I don't, it isn't that like people can't have interest in their jobs. I think you should hopefully do work that you enjoy. Um, I mean, most people probably work is work. That's why they call it work or whatever. Um, but if you're in medicine, if you like spend this much time and money and blood, sweat and tears to get here, I would hope you're at least doing something you find enjoyable um, without having to like give up anything else in your life for it. I, I like being, I love being a doctor. I think if I had the choice to make all over again, I would probably make the same choice, but, and this gets at the heart of their argument, right? Where um, it's sort of implied that us doctors, us residents who are trying to advocate for another couple of days of vacation or less 24 hour call, that that implies that we don't care about the work and that we don't like or um, appreciate the role of physician when that's not true at all. We are just saying if we have the opportunity to be better for ourselves, which directly impacts our patients, shouldn't we just, shouldn't we try? Shouldn't we try to go down that path? Mm -hmm. um, and when these things get, get brought up, when resident unions are discussed on social media, there's always someone who swoops in to say that, that we're being ungrateful because we're trying to make our workplace safer and try to give ourselves and the people who come after us the opportunities that the folks didn't choose or want to fight for in the past. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to go to work every day. I like my job. Very well said. Um, okay. What other, what other points uh, do we want to address? If any, from this podcast episode, tough love. Tough love. Um, it gets a little circuitous at the end. I didn't have, many other points to bring up. I guess the one thing, just because we're three very chronically online people was this discussion they had of social media and how uh, a perceived grievance is more ubiquitous when it's shared on social media. When, 
when I think about these issues, I think about how much resident union organization has been galvanized by social media and how we've had these dominoes falling in the last year of, of program after program after program fighting for and winning a union. And I think of social media as a, as a way to organize, get people excited, share ideas. And I think that's actually what she's implying by saying this, but they just view it through a different lens, which right. I thought was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, I mean, I like for good or bad, I respect that they did it. I like that they did the episode because people are talking about it. This is like stuff that like, you know, older doctors and, and some younger, but like a lot of older doctors talk about and they are afraid to to bring it up and they are afraid for right or wrong. I think we need to be able to discuss it and openly discuss it. And that's why I'm, you know, really was happy that you guys were willing to come on and do that to hopefully express to those people some of your thoughts about why we think the way they, that you, you we do uh, about these things and why we've been pushing for some progress or some change that we feel is progressive. So I, I'm glad that they brought it up and I respect that they did it because I'll tell you this, doctors I know very well and respect very well will will say the same thing offline and they are afraid to bring it up and they are afraid to to mention it online because they know they know how it's going to be received. It's not going to be received you know very well and the people who agree with them tend to not be people who are online you know that is some truth to that the people that agree with them are not the people who are are posting uh comments online so um i will say that was there anything else that you feel that you uh agreed with not necessarily points but i absolutely empathized with us all experiencing and trying to do the best for learners in the system a lot of her frustration a lot of both of their frustrations, I think, come from systemic issues, and they directed their lens towards more wellness days and things like that. But at the end of the day, we are doing the best that we can. And I know for a lot of our faculty, they do not get any additional time or compensation for being involved in our education as residents and, and especially as medical students. And um, I wish they did. And it's appreciated. And I think I can see where a lot of their frustrations are coming from because a lot of those frustrations are shared. No, I mean, I think there are real concerns here and people do face a lot of challenges in medical education. And I think that just the way they went about this was not a way to actually like express or validate any of those concerns, um, especially by like talking about wellness as chocolate covered pretzels um, talking about trainees as children, um, like these kind of things just made it seem like they didn't actually care about what was really what the stakes are and what like real issues are um, when you take something so unseriously as calling well wellness chocolate covered pretzels. Which are delicious, by the way. So like it's not really fair. Yeah. Yeah. And like, or like saying that a wellness day is CBT for a broken leg, I think was another. And yeah, they both like thought analogy. that they thought that was really clever. Um, <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up because of the, so far, listeners that haven't heard the episode at one point, they're like, it's like, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy for a broken leg. And then they were both like, that's really funny. And they're like, yeah, that's funny. Right. <laughs> and then I was like, I realized that I see, I now I see why people think the show is funny because I don't think we're funny, but like for doctors, we're pretty funny, I think, you know, generally. <laughs> um, I'm like, God, well, that's pretty funny. So, uh, that's a really good point. Um, let me, 
let me ask you this though, because it's not just medical students and residents who, you know, are dealing with sort of a, a broken healthcare system and dealing with all the stresses that we have. It's also these these teaching attendings in these in these places, both of which you guys do teaching. If things aren't better for them, if things get worse for them in some way, and they in a lot of places you could argue they are. Aren't we worried about losing good teachers? Aren't we? This Dr. Uh, Holthauser, who left her job, I mean, it sounds like she was a great teacher. Uh, and and aren't we worried about losing them as well? Should we be talking more about that also? Yeah, and I think we probably have. Well, I know we've lost a lot of good educators. Um, and I don't think it's because of complaints from students about their wellness, I think it's because of the same structural issues that lead to burnout for residents and students. Um, it's the demands from corporate health systems to have residents make up for paid, better paid positions that they would otherwise have to fill. Um, it's all of these kind of like administrative demands put on them um, I mean, they talked about, I guess one really good point they did bring up was kind of GME and accreditation issues and how much of a strain that is. Um, and that is, I mean, running a any sort of medical education program is incredibly difficult. It is way more work than anyone will ever get compensated for. Um, and so that, I guess, is the one really good concern. I wish they had focused more on that. And that definitely keeps people out. That yeah. is the reason I don't do more with medical education, honestly. Yeah. Bad ex experiences with the GME. Yeah. Well, you know what? Something you, we hear a lot, what I hear a lot from doctors, from attendings, is their fears of getting bad reviews, essentially, from students. And their fears that, like, if they are uh, working with a student that they don't feel is doing well or they it needs to be remediated in some way or that they're afraid to say something because they're afraid that the, the it'll come back and hurt them somehow and some people have given me stories that you know it's hard for me to parse out what's what's real and what's not from just you know dms and twitter and that sort of thing but it certainly does seem to be a fear you know that people have in that regards is is that something that is more of a fundamental flaw with our current system or is there something specific about the the new residents or or medical students? It's so I would say hard it's systemic. You go. That I, that was all I have to say. I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> oh, I was like, because I was just a, I, back in my day when I was a medical student all of eight months ago. It's just it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard, and I remember moving through medical school and being tangentially in, involved in some things with our office of medical education as a senator and, and things like that. And um, it's really hard to see where people are coming from a lot of the time as a medical student. This is such a foreign world. Medicine is so strange, but often there is a reason why things are done or the 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 proposed solution that you have has already been tried is what I've learned a lot. And um, as I moved through medical school, I found that I understood more about why people were doing things the way they were doing them and got less angry <laughs> about because I realized that everyone was trying to fix the same problem. We were, we were trying. Everyone was trying. Um, 
to have an educational environment where you can't give negative feedback to your learners is unsustainable and dangerous, frankly, for patients. And I think this partially comes down to the environment that has been created by the residency match and uh, the, the step mania, as Brian Carmody calls it, because so your financial security, everything is based on the match. And we've created this environment where it is just every man, every woman from, for themselves. And I think medical students can't, they, it does feel like you cannot, as a medical student, you cannot get any negative feedback or else you're done. And so the initial response to getting any sort of uh, critique is naturally in that type of environment going to be defensive because mm-hmm. this is this is the world that we've created for our our trainees for uh-huh. our medical students. Yeah. Uh, very well said. Very well said. Okay. Um thank you both so much. It's such a joy to have you back on. Trisha, you're an attending physician. You're not a medical student anymore. You're like you. the real deal now. It's so amazing. I've seen I've seen you like this this amazing actually I can't say it's a transformation. You came on the show like three years ago and you were amazing then. So it's you're as amazing then as you are now. Now you just have an MD behind your name, which is pretty cool. Thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything we can plug for you? No, no, no. I I last time I was on I was very busy. Now I'm just in the hospital trying to survive. But thank you for asking. You're fantastic. You're fantastic. And people should follow you on whatever social media stuff they want to. Um, I just totally infantilized her. Did you see that, Ryan? How I talked about how I've seen her grow up. Now, like, well, it's, I it's, am that attending. I, I am that attending. Did you notice that? Done, been on Twitter since she was pre-med, and now I, I'm a doctor. It's, it is really wonderful having people see that growth. So I don't feel infantilized. I feel appreciated. Yeah, but you're always pretty awesome. Ryan, you, oh, God, I just love you. Just love you, buddy. I wish I could be infantilized. You're my little buddy. Is that better if I, if I do that? <laughs> Um, Ryan, what can we uh, what can we promote or plug for you my friend Uh, nothing I wish I had something you have everything you're such a smart guy people should follow you on twitter at uh, Ryan Marino is it Dr. Ryan Marino I keep forgetting just Ryan Marino Ryan Marino also check out his YouTube page Um, it's a really I mean there's not enough content on it yet, but the stuff he has on there is fantastic. So please follow it. Um, I want to thank uh, Dr. Jason Rosenbaum for ad copy, Nadine for help with production. If you haven't already, if you like the show, please go rate and review us on iTunes. I love reading them. And if you don't like the show and you want to call me out for being woke propaganda, um, fine, do that too, whatever. But yeah, preferably, I like to do you know, a nice review. Anyways. Um, thank you all so much for listening and thank you both for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm glad I was got to be here. I'm more glad. <laughs> Bye-bye. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified healthcare provider for your specific healthcare needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.